Hello, my name is Connor. And I'm Jason. And you are listening to the Amazed and Perplexed podcast. So today we're doing the most fun topic you could possibly study in the Bible or talk about. It's not controversial at all. There's no possibility for any hurt feelings. It's, you know, how, how a certain type of people love to talk about clear. And the Bible is very clear about something and there's no nuance. It's just super easy to talk about and uh, won't get anybody in trouble. Or um, and Yeah, it's just, it's just super easy. So we're talking about divorce, if you hadn't already, uh, hadn't already guessed. So, so Jason, uh, before we get to the passage today, uh, what has been your relationship um, with divorce? What's been your experience with divorce? Yeah, so my parents got a divorce when I was 10. Um, it was a long time coming, and uh, it was pretty messy. My dad was um, my dad was a minister to church. They had just planted that church, a uh, lot of good energy. The church was growing. Um, for that area of the country and per their expectations it was growing probably two or three times faster than they anticipated uh, and uh, things were going really well for them and I then uh, my dad had an affair and once that happened because of the nature of the way the church community worked his job there was over immediately and their marriage was soon over after that and it like many marriages that that final thing is it that's what it is there's a hundred things that lead up to it and that was the final thing yeah i I, i'll talk about my parents force here in a moment but how i always describe the kind of final moment to my mom was and this could be applicable for you and and the affair it was more like the anvil that broke the camel's back Uh, (laughs) which is is what i is what i always like to say yeah yeah so even as a kid and when you're a kid you just kind of think, I mean, you might see something on TV that's different than your experience, but you just assume that's probably within the realm of normal because it's what you know. And, and to my, you know, to my parents credit, um, I, I wouldn't characterize this at all as, as experiencing, you know, any kind of real abuses and in those kind of uh, terms, you know, that, that often will happen in volatile households. So, um, yeah. And, and really the divorce was somewhat, um, non, I mean, how do I say this? It, it, it brought peace to the house in many ways uh, because there had been tension for years. And um, it was the remarriages that both my parents were remarried. And now I have a good relationship with, with everybody involved. But at the time, it was very threatening. I didn't like the notion of being in a blended family. We didn't even call them blended families. There was nobody really to help. We never had counseling. Um, and we ended up in several different custody problems. Um, but at the end of the day... Yeah, no, no, I'm not gonna. Yeah, so that's that's what happened there. Sure. And so, yeah, it was. And and the other piece of it is, when in in the world I grew up in, people were if you're meeting people for the first time, you'll get asked about your parents. And my dad went into preaching a few years after he got a divorce. He remarried, went into preaching, and I had to field multiple questions on. How is your dad able to preach if he's divorced? Mm. And I wish I would have had the wherewithal to say, you should ask my dad. <laughs> Why am I having to answer your questions of that? And they weren't kind questions, let me yeah. put it that way. So it was like I was I was offending them directly by my dad's existence in that role. Uh, so yeah, very negative and very, um, just in general, it was a subject you would always avoid talking about simply because lots of landmines, um, and it was it, it tended to be one of those gotcha questions if you're doing an interview of any sort. Hmm. So, what about you? That's really good. And I think maybe we'll t- touch later on uh, the question of how we think it affects how we view our own marriages. Um, I think I think that'd be really interesting to talk about. So, so for me, I was almost exactly ten years ago. My parents separated. Uh, They've been together for thirty some thirty plus years. I feel bad that I don't know that. They've been together for thirty plus years. I uh, had four children. Um, and maybe like a year or so before they got separated, my dad had gone to my mom and told my mom that he was a woman. He'd always been a woman that this was, you know, who, who, who my dad was. This is, um, this was the experience that, yeah, that, that was, that was my dad's experience. 
and they went to counseling for you know a little while to see if they could reconcile and just it really ended up being one of those things where it just wasn't it there neither of their life when my dad made that decision to pursue transitioning and following through with that um the trajectories of what they wanted out of life and how they saw marriage and how they saw their relationship together it was just irreconcilable and they got separated when i was 16 i want to say uh, i told her brothers who were already um adults away at college and i had a younger sister and, and i was 16 so i obviously was not away from college not away at college and yeah it was it was really fascinating because we maybe up until i was about 10 years old had a pretty good family dynamic um, I think I've talked about another podcast. We kind of had just a really couple nasty years where um, lost a lot of family members, lost sickness, a lot of just a lot of pain and, and agony. And and there was this sense that my dad had kind of taken a step back from the family. And 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 honestly, the year or so prior before my dad, uh, my dad and mom got divorced, it it was one of those things that there was this underlying tension and underlying depression in the household. Um, I've even heard my dad, and my dad's not a believer. I've heard my dad talk about um, how the house at that time felt like um, he wouldn't. He, my dad would not phrase it this way, but it felt like he, he was trying to. My dad tried to find this phrase of like almost demonic, like it felt like our house was under this oppression, and so I did not expect, well, obviously, my dad to t- to become, you know. Um, to my dad to transition to be a trans woman. I, that's not what my expectation was. And I wasn't expecting my parents to get divorced because it's been 30 years or so at a certain point, I guess I've always just been like, well, you know, you're going to, you're going <laughs> to, it's just, it's just what it is at that point. To be fair, they were like early 50s. So it wasn't like, you know, writing on the walls all over and just packing in for the next 30 years and accept your fate. But I was not expecting it. But when they did get divorced, there was this sense of like, oh, okay. A lot of puzzle pieces are clicking together in terms of what I thought about my parents' marriage, about, um, about things about my dad and things about my mom. And, and so they, they got divorced maybe you know, pretty shortly after they separated. And yeah, there was this sense, it was really weird because suddenly it was just me and my mom and my sister. And whereas before we've been a family of six and now we're a family of three and, and navigating what this all means. And, and for me, I've talked before about, man, what does it be mean to be a man when your father, the, you know, the half the, the male portion that provided, um, provided life for you no longer claims that like what is it who do you look to how do you how do you see yourself um and a lot of anger towards my dad a lot of anger towards how he hurt my mom um and you know how he hurt me but um just yeah just just a lot of pain and a lot of anger ultimately a lot of redemption in that story and i've shared that before but uh yeah i very god is god is making all things new and he's working all things for good and i think I think most of my family is in a healthier place um, now than they were, but still um, very up close and personal to see the devastation of what of what that rendering of, of, of the one flesh can look like in a in a family. So, yeah. Yeah, I think it's I think it is one of those dynamics that there it, it's all mixed up. You know, I, I don't have a struggle today and say this is solely the result of one bad experience in 1982, you know, um, and I picked that year at random. <laughs> so I don't, I don't know what happened in 1982 officially, but anyway, the, the point there is it's all mixed up. And so at times I'm like, is this because of the divorce? Is this something that that's innate in me? You know yeah. I mean? Just a, a weakness that I, I don't know. It was there genetically, you know, kind of thing. Um, but I do know it is, um, at the very least it's a, um, it, how do I say this? It's a, it makes everything shaky. Mm. And it makes you question things. And had my parents stayed married, I would have had another set of problems for sure. Sure, sure, sure. Um, but it is it's it's there is some uniqueness in that unsettling. Now the challenge is now when you say this, how many people will listen to this and their biological parents are still married? And so we adjust to whatever we're raised in, you know. And so now I've been married nearly twenty seven years, twenty seven years this month, and um I love the thought that my my kids have not experienced that shakiness, and I love the thought that I can't predict what's going to happen five and ten years from now. But the way our approach to marriage, um, I think it's a little bit foolhardy to say has totally made us divorce proof. I, but I do think the way we process problems gives us enormous hope and increasing hope. And so I see that as as a gift that I've given to my kids. You know that that I've I can tell you of other problems I certainly passed on to them. 
I, but, it, but that it's good, you know, because that produces a fracturing of something that God intended to, to, you know, speak stability and represent stability in life. Mm. I love, and we'll talk, we'll probably talk a little bit more and I'll transition here in a second, but I love, I love the beauty. You talk about the fracturing of something that God did not intend to fracture. And yet because of your experience, you have now been probably much more intentional and, and been equipped with better tools and, and, um, and better experiences to where you can make sure that that stays forged together for your kids. Um, and that's just one of those cool things that we get to see God, uh, God doing because, you know, who knows if you hadn't been through that experience, um, if you would have the same tools, the same motivations, the same, um, same ability to, to work through and provide, uh, provide, uh, your kids with the, the right backdrop that, um, that they were always meant to experience. And so I'm excited to see what this has. I honestly, who knows? I might, this is a longer intro than we almost always do. I wouldn't even call it an intro. It's more of a chapter one sort of thing. So maybe we'll stick it at the end or the beginning or the middle. Who knows? Uh, but I appreciate, um, I appreciate anybody listening. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those funny things that they don't, that, that you don't know. Cause on one hand, I feel like I'm talking to Jason and being vulnerable with the other hand. I'm like, Oh, there's a lot of people that are going to hear, some of the most vulnerable thoughts, some of the going to hear about the most um, vulnerable mode of my entire life. And so that's always funny. So I appreciate you um, in advance for handling with that kit with care and love and, and all that good stuff. Today, we're going to be looking at Matthew 19. And I think we'll focus our, our comments just on verses Uh, three through nine. I think that's how we'll do that today. Uh, Beginning there, some Pharisees came to him, came to Jesus to test Jesus. They ask, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning, the creator made the male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality and marries another woman, commits adultery. So, in processing that, what amazes you about this? interaction the joining together in in marriage becoming one flesh is one of the more mind-bending realities of how god has set up his creation and and even leaning into being a follower of jesus what it what it what it looks like what it like what does it truly look like to be joined in one flesh it reminds me a lot of the question of like what does it really look like when you have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you, that's kind of like, it's a similar sort of question. Um, because so like, I think about, I think about my, like the relationship I have with my wife, there are times where I feel like, man, we totally embody this idea. I feel like we're making these decisions. We're on the same page. We're together, or even things are going like really badly, but we're choosing to lean in and choosing to do all these things. And yet there's so many different States. And so the state isn't what dictates if somebody is flesh. Um, whether we're mad or angry isn't what dictates whether we're one flesh. It's the same sort of thing, whether I'm, you know, like if I, if I mess up and I choose not to follow God in this moment and choose to follow God in the next moment, it's not that the Holy Spirit is like, you know, jumping in and out of me in those. It's, and so this dynamic is really fascinating because obviously this is one of the first things that God, God creates. Um, it's one of the first things that he instills um, before there are cities, before there are countries, before there are governments, before there are children in God's design, there is this, there is this marriage. And I think, man, I think there's a lot of people who um, put marriage on, uh, they worship it as an idol. And so we'll, maybe we'll talk about that at some point. So I don't want, I don't want you to think, listener, that I, that's where I'm going with this, but just the seriousness and just the, the foundational aspect of it. Um, that it's so massive, just like the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us is so massive. And we have these touchstones of like, do I have the fruit of the spirit? Um, here's, here's, here's my question is like, is there, is there a version that we can check in with our relationship with our spouse of like, um, 
is there a fruit of marriage, if that makes sense? It, are there, are, like, is there, that, that helps me when I'm like, okay, am I living in the spirit? And I can go through the list of the fruits of the spirit and be like, okay, yeah, I'm seeing evidence of this. I'm seeing evidence of that. I'm not seeing evidence. I'm not seeing evidence of that. And so for me, just that this is so important, so big, and yet it's so broad and it's so um, nebulous at times. Uh, on the one hand, I think some days when my marriage feels not as, like, absolutely rock solid or it feels fr- not even rock solid, it just feels frustrating that nebulous kind of um, uh, broad definition or broad description feels um, frustrating because I want to know what puzzle piece I need to plug in to make my marriage feel like it's it's fitting the right description. But on days like today when I you know feel really in sync with my wife and I like it, it, it seems a lot more beautiful. So it's, it, what today is amazing to me, tomorrow could very well be perplexing. Mm-hmm. There was yeah. a lot there. Sorry. Yeah, no, no, I, I love all that. It, it took my head, and my mind in two ways. One thing is. If you're married to a person, and most people at least initially are, that they were like, this person makes life better, you know, then you've probably had some of your best experiences with that person. And the challenge with being human is once you've had a fantastic experience, a good experience doesn't feel that great. So you and but it's it's not human to think I'm going to have I'm going to string together five million fantastic experiences, you know, <laughs> that will good. comprise my life. So that's part of the dynamic. You know, it's like anything. If you're in a job and the first week or so you just have to push a button and you're chilling, you know, and then from then on, the real job is, no, you got to do something that takes a lot of energy. You will always fantasize about having those first two weeks again. Absolutely. You know? And I think that's that's sometimes a corollary. The other thing is, and this really relates, it's just me putting words to that dynamic of it feeling like it's so much. You know, when, when Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, he's acknowledging there are these four distinct, overlapping, but distinct components of you and how you are. Because he just could have said, love God with all you got, you know. But he was articulating this, and many times I think, okay, if I can just get the the mental relationship right, I'm going to think right about this. But then you got, oh, I've got to feel feel right about, it. and then physically I got to I got to do that, you know. And that could be staying healthy or attending to the affection in your marriage or doing the chores around your house, you know, all those kind of things. Um, and then now you have this soul, this spiritual level, and how do we even quantify that? What are the metrics for that, you know? And one flesh is not referring to, I mean, typically we think about sexuality when one flesh, because that's a physical embodiment, but he's not saying that. He's saying that that's part of it, but he's saying heart, soul, mind, and strength on the one flesh. And I think it's it's useful to me because it's overwhelming in the sense that, man, I've grown so much. I've been married all this all these years, but still I'm like, oh, this... This part is better. If I if I was able to objectively compare it to our first year of marriage, I'd be like, oh yeah, this is better. But I still would want it to be better than it is. That's that's a you great know? that's a great um, that, that that really I think that that could really help me in the future um, in terms of just having a uh, just having a set of things that really check in with myself and with my marriage. Of am I embodying um, loving my wife with my heart, soul, mind, and strength um, and and that 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 man, that, I think that's going to be really helpful for me because all four together, I can't even begin to process how those weave together, what that absolutely looks like. But I know when one thing isn't right, or I know I, I usually can know when one thing is not in check, and I'll we'll spend a lot of time working on one thing in one area um, to make sure that we are um, fully invested um, in terms of you know in terms of soul or in terms of whatever. And then we we work on that. We feel like we get to a really good place, and then. Um, we turn around and, and this other area is not working. So I, I really, I really appreciate that. So the first thing that you said about, you know, not being able to string all these amazing experiences together on the one hand, that's incredibly frustrating. And my wife and I have had this conversation before of, um, it, it's, it's such a weird thing to think about that. So there's this biological thing that happens to us that when we fall in love with a person, there's this like basically one to three year span where we have these outrageous chemicals pumping through our body to connect us to this person. And then for some people last longer, for some people last shorter, eventually those feelings that cause the butterflies, that cause the, the, uh, you know, the heart tingles or whatever, eventually those um, begin to fade or transform into other feelings. And because of how intense those feelings are moment to moment, there can be this sense of loss and there can be this sense of, um, 
uh, yeah, there can there can be this sense of loss, and we can stop in a moment and realize, okay, man, the the love that I have now is so much more deeper and so much more profound and so much more um, sacrificial. But we have this. I feel like a lot of us, and and I I feel the same way too. When you think back to that first week of the job or the first year of your relationship or whatever it may be, there's this sense. There's this sense that that was, that was always what it was meant to be. That there's a corruption that this isn't continuing for four, five, six, seven, eight, ten, twenty, thirty, forty years. I'm not having those um, same that same biological reaction that I was having then. And yet, it's so incredible to me that God sets it up in the way that He does, so that the deeper love, the more profound connection, um, the 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 way that we grow together is not by a million fantastic moments, is by this slow progression um, and 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 the choosing of love as opposed to the driving force of, um, and to be fair, it's all chemicals in our brain, but you, you know what I mean, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Well, and, and I have, I have read, um, you know, people that have done research on the seasons of marriage. And if you don't appreciate the seasons of marriage, you will be miserable, you know? Um, but you won't get to that deep sense of safety and contentedness, um, without going through these seasons, you know? And so that's really important that God's design is, is really, um, it's ingenious, but we are constantly evaluating God's design from our perspective and what it feels like in this millisecond. And we make decisions about, well, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be happy unless this happens. Mm -hmm. And then we, and God's like, no, I, I could lead you to happiness, but that's not going to happen. Like, that's not good for you. You know, and it happens in lots more than marriage, but it it shows up there. And it's more important to us because this is our person, you know, and we feel like if we can't get this right, what does this mean about everything else? That's really good. And yeah, so I've always given, always given advice. Like I've given a thousand people. I've given like five people this advice, maybe 10. <laughs> but every time. But every time I've given this advice of like, okay, how, you know, it's, it's always a funny question in, in the Christian dating world. Okay, well, how long should you be, you know, dating before you get married? And, um, and you know, the world now it's like four or five, six, you know, it's, it's a long time before you get married. And then there's, you know, cohabitation in that. But l- like, let's just say for, for argument's sake, you're, you're not following that path and, um, and you're intentionally seeking after each other to be these, um, to be what God calls us to be in marriage. Um, and I've talked to, you know, a handful of couples that are along this path and you get this question of, okay, you know, how, when, 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 when do we know that we're ready to get married? And I've always come back to the advice of go through at least more than one season together, you know, and I don't even think you have to go through like a hundred or several different, um, but just at some point, whether that's three months or two years or whatever, whatever time frame it looks like, if the span of your relationship has existed on one even plane that whole time, um, you're just, you're setting yourself up for disappointment and not even like you're setting yourself up for divorce, but you're setting yourself up for so, a much harder marriage is, is how I've always thought about it. And that could be terrible advice. I don't know. Um, should I stop telling people that Jason? No, I think that's right. I, I think, you know, one of the biggest challenges is God does have a plan for each of us, and we've talked about this in many other podcasts. Our goal isn't to master it, it's to trust him. The challenge is most of the time we spend very little time actually listening, and so we come to God to some degree in a panic and be like, tell me right now everything I need to know right now because I need to know it right now, you know? And God's, God could, but he knows that makes him a genie if every time you come to him and demand an answer. You know? I, I got the image of... If I'm sure none of our listeners listeners ever did this, or you didn't do it, but you didn't do the homework the night before, and so you run up at, like right before school starts in seventh grade, trying to find somebody who had the homework to copy off of. <laughs> I, I resist comment on that. Yeah, so, so, what amazes you? So yeah, you know what's interesting to me is number one, I, I don't even know how to put this together quickly in my head, but just clearly the Pharisees are not asking because they care. <laughs> they're asking to test him, which which translates in my mind, they're they're asking him to trap him, you know? And my assumption is that if he says um you you can't do it, then it's like, well, wait a minute, God said you know, or you can't get divorced. Well, what about Moses? So now they put him at odds with Moses. Or if you say you can or can't do it, you know, if if you agree with Moses, 
you know, then you're against God. If you agree with God, then you're against Moses. And I, and I love, that's amazing to me, this is one more application of this, how Jesus gets to the heart of the question, despite the fact that they don't care. <laughs> they don't want this answer, you know. They just want to trap him, and he not only um, sidesteps their trap, but he also gives us valuable information, which is it's just a funny thing. It's so hard for me to assess, hey, somebody's trying to trap me, number one. Number two, it's really hard then to craft an answer that has any value other than sidestepping. And then clearly there's other passages we've covered where they'll ask for something of Jesus. He's like, I'll ask, I'll answer that once you answer this. You know what I mean? So he's trying to do this. And right after this, he engages in a conversation with his own disciples. We just haven't, we didn't go there because of our time. But it, but it is this idea how he's still instructive and how he goes to the root. He, he's, and, and this is where, where the thing that I think we have so much trouble at, where we, we often function from the Pharisee's perspective. We, we are looking at the anomalies. We are looking at the exceptions. You know what I mean? God is always looking at, here's the standard. He, here's, and by standard, I mean, here's the way God set this up to work in a healthy and beautiful way. Because if I go in and I, and in this case, of course, the woman is not mentioned, meaning she has no power, you know, so any and every reason, well, that's a lot of reasons, you know, and so, but any, it's like a person, you know, when they introduce them, they say, well, this is their first marriage, you know, it's like, what are you anticipating, you know, (laughs) and I think there's that similar part and it has to do with humans in this, in this case, men, but these humans being in charge. And what's interesting is Jesus' answer emphasizes God being in charge. He says he made them male and female. And it says later, it says, therefore, what God has joined together, not that who you fell in love with, and I hope we felt those feelings, God built those feelings in to kind of draw us in, the chemicals and the other dynamics that you're speaking of. And this is God's work, you know. Um, God set this in motion. And then when they ask specifically about Moses, he's like, yeah, you did this. Humans did this. And it also shows, and that's kind of amazing, that God actually adjusted his standards per what the people could do, which we would call situational ethics, which that's always been condemned. But this is an example of God saying, here's my standard. It's like polygamy. It's like one man, one woman. What about David? One man, one woman. What about Solomon? What, you know, what about Jacob? For goodness sake, somebody tell this guy, you know. And yet God worked through them despite the fact they didn't meet the standard. So what that speaks to me is, number one, there is a standard. There's a way that this will work more beautifully and powerfully if I align myself with God. Also, God loves me so much, he works with where I am. And so if you're hearing this and you've been divorced, understand, I think you, I've yet to talk to a divorced person, that if you were to say, if you were to go back in time and you were to have these skills that, that you know now and the knowledge you have now, and you might not have chosen that person, you know, um, but you would have preferred not to go through a divorce. I don't know of any divorced person that say, nope, I just love that high of divorce. You know what I mean? And, and so, so they would agree that it's not, that it wasn't what they were hoping for, you know? And so it's for those of us that, I mean, whether divorced or not, not to condemn the person that's divorced, because God's not condemning the person that's divorced. All he's saying is, this is the standard that will lead to the most beauty and power and peace. But when you, when you can't do that or won't do that, God adjusts to where you are. He doesn't change the standard, but he adjusts. And I think that's just amazing. It just shows the, the it's how you stand with truth and grace simultaneously. Man, that, that, is, that is so beautiful. Because I think about how this has been used before as this bludgeon, as this um, set into a, as I need to conform other people to this box. And if this box is, if this box is taken away or if somebody, you know, colors outside of the lines, then um, it, it's, it's this worst possible thing. I, I, Moses, I never thought about this until you were talking, but Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. And I, I, I had this, so and then Jesus goes on to talk about like you know talk go on and talk about um, sexual morality being a reason for divorce and I had this sense I was like okay what is it I, I would I'd have to do a word study but what does it mean here when when Jesus says that Moses allowed them for divorce when their hearts were hard like how would you describe like for me if I were to describe um, some guy coming home and beating beating on his wife I would describe that as as a hard heart or if I, if if somebody was emotionally um, gaslighting and abusive and repeatedly so and unforgiving um, I would tend to describe that as a hard heart um, and so I I love the fact 
one, it's so, it's so, it makes me so angry how many times I've been led to believe that the words of Jesus were the, these ironclad bars that wanted to lock you in and that if you, if you put an arm outside of the bar, then Jesus had no place for you or had no understanding or had no grace for you. So one, it makes me mad how, how Jesus's teachings on divorce have been so, so used as a tool of abuse and of control. But two, it is so incredible to me um, how Jesus communicates this love, how Jesus communicates love in this way. The way that Jesus holds these two um, tensions together and doesn't sacrifice is just absolutely beautiful. And I think you really helped enlighten that for me, um, that Jesus is, he is so capable here of holding the tension of the truth while also not letting go of, of grace. And that is, man, that the way he does that is like, we so often talk about men training. Like for me, I feel like I need to really sit at the feet here and be intentional um, about this, about this tension that Jesus is able to hold together. I think I, everything you said, I'm like, yeah, yeah. I, and it's, and we have to keep realizing there's a percentage. If you're serious about following Christ, there's a percentage of truth in you and there's a percentage of falseness and much of the falseness you didn't seek. It was given to you. And this is not a condemnation about people that passed it on, whether they meant to or not. It's simply that I'm, I'm, I'm saying that's beside the point for our conversation right now. It's simply about being open to say, I have this view of God or these aspects that God created, and I, I may only be locking in 20% of the full truth. Or I, I don't know, you know, and, and that's the humility when Jesus says, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit. That's that's people that are aware that they have nothing to offer spiritually to God. And I think that's that's our safe space, you know. And so with marriage, we have to recognize, marriage or divorce, we have to recognize there's a certain amount of truth that we know, but then there's a probably a, a larger percentage, depending on your upbringing, depending on who you've allowed to teach you, you know, that may be really, really twisted. You know, you know the that word immorality. So I'll, I'll transition to perplexed. And it is perplexing to think through that word sexual immorality. It's it's interesting. I was just looking um, at the um, at the passage that 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 had that. I need to go back to it. I, I walked away from it for just a second. Is it, is it porny? It... Yeah, it is. And and that's where we get the word pornography. But the general, when you look at the definitions or the way it's translated, maybe better said. Um, sexual, there's not one word for sexual and one word for morality. It's just one word, porneia. And, uh, and it's, it's fornication, whoredom, which is a word that didn't pop up much, <laughs> met, which I'm not quite understanding there. Um, and maybe that, that's an abbreviation for idolatry. It's an abbreviation that says idolatry. And I think what that's saying is, I can't remember what the word met stands for right there at the second, but it's the idea of representative. Here's another way it's used. So, so when you're applying this, so let's say we're talking to a person that says my marriage is terrible. Do I have? We used to use the terminology in the, in the Church of Christ at least grounds for divorce. You know what I mean? So I, can I get out? Well, part of that is the why. You know what I mean? And and a huge part of it is the why. You know, is this because because it's so easy to not be long suffering? You know, and there are things that I've seen marriages one hundred percent ruined because people just made the decision. I just I deserve to be happy. You know what I mean? And the fact of the matter is that that's not a reason to get a divorce. Simultaneously, there are things that that spouses will do that are idolatrous, in, in many cases worshiping themselves, that are sinful, are grounds for divorce, and you become unhappy because of that. You know, so so unhappiness and feelings in general are not invalid. You just have to dig deeper. But it is challenging because God will use. I, I always go back to um, Hosea. Where he's he's saying, "Hey, I want you to 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 marry this lady who keeps running off from you, so that um, so that this will be a picture of my relationship." And he calls them adulterers, the nation adulterers, and and yeah, there were some that were having you know some kind of temple prostitution kind of thing. So there was a physical thing, but God's not that's that's not the main issue. Is their hearts that were far from Him? So, but even if you're just talking about about sexual immorality. To, to be sexually faithful to your spouse, and I'm coming from specifically a husband's perspective to his wife, you're talking about eliminating 
all others. You know what I mean? And that's true of, of you know, just people that are lusted after, pornography, um, you know, and clearly having sex with someone outside your marriage. What? Um, I'm just kidding. I'm, just kidding. Yes. I'm sorry. It, it, that was my maturity. <laughs> but, it, but it, you know, includes all that. But it also includes being faithful to what you know. If you mm-hmm. know your wife is driven crazy because you just spend recklessly or um, you guys have some things, you know, that undermines. See, for men in particular – the the emotional, you know, men can gather emotion from the sexual uh, experience. Women need to feel safe prior to it. So so this is where this gets gets difficult because if a person is tearing down their spouse, they're not having sex with someone outside their marriage, but they're constantly tearing down their spouse. I can see that being a valid reason to think, wait a minute, this is this is immoral compared to what their call was. But see, we have this limited. You know what? What's the least I have to do to pass this class? Kind of feel with our Christianity, and and that's a dynamic that really really hurts us. You know, and it happens both ways. Where where on one hand, I I, I don't need to be thinking the least. What's the least I can do for my spouse that she didn't have a reason to leave me? You know, if if a, if two people are committed to to um to a godly relationship guided by biblical principles. And that's not that's not of God. That's sinning. It's sinning for me to say, what's the minimum level I can do? Simultaneously, it's sinful for another spouse to say, I need to starve this person of all affection so eventually they'll go and have sex with somebody else. You know what I mean? To set that up. But but the challenge with that is the whole relationship has been pitched as wrong because church doesn't do well on teaching sexuality. Church doesn't do well about being honest about marriage. Church doesn't do well. So, so many of us start with badly inherited teachings or expectations of marriage because when I don't tell you honestly about something that you're about to experience, you assume it went easy for me. You assume it was the fairy tale for me. Even saying it out loud might sound silly, but you're like, I look around, these people seem happy. And if people that are, and this is true of all aspects of life, if I'm not honest as a minister, hey, here's the stuff that's going to happen if you want to be a minister, then I expect you to have a much rougher time than you have to because we are constantly um, experiencing reality or assessing reality by our expectations. And so this is the challenge that, that when a person is divorced, when a person is contemplating divorce, those of us that come alongside them to support them, we need to approach with an enormous amount of grace. Because would God say, hey, this is my standard, but, but I'm adjusting it for you because I know their hard-heartedness means there's space that God can't get into, yeah. you know? And sometimes we are so scared of being honest that we just can't tell the truth. Well, that's space that God can't get into, so our marriages suffer. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think you, you talked about that. Let me just get the, let me get the, what I need to pass this class um, dynamic of, of, of how we tend to think about following Jesus. Um, and we have this, you said something else about the idea that when committing sexual immorality, especially against a spouse, is ultimately devaluing. It's a, um, it's creating a dynamic where we are raising ourselves above our spouse and above God. Um, and, and so if we fought, and so if we follow the, the dynamic of well, what do I have to do to pass the class, I can look and be like, well, I've never had an affair. I don't look at pornography. I bounce my eyes. And so I'm not devaluing my wife, but if I am constantly doing things, um, knowing that they will cause her harm or cause her pain or bring strife or, um, anger to her, what is that? If not devaluing her and raising myself above her and above God. And so this is what happens when we have the dynamic of what do we have to do to um to pass the class pass the class. We have this thought that to pass the class that it's just a simple rubric and that it co- and everything that is in scripture or right in this passage covers exactly what needs to be um needs to be said here or what exactly I need to do when the reality is Jesus is not prescribing here is everything that is imp- here is the only important thing to your marriage here's the only important way to make sure that your marriage is healthy and that you are um, being a good spouse uh, and man I I just I think that the way Jesus communicates this is 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 literally genius um and and revolutionary so man I just I I, I thank you for everything that you were able to add to that because that enlightened a lot for me So what perplexes me is the dynamic um, in the dynamic of of 
he talks about a husband, you know, leaving his home to, to, to join together with his wife. Um, and, and what it is, because Jesus, you know, <laughs> there, there's so much good that Jesus talks about marriage and so much that it can be and how, how important it is to God. And, and Paul will echo a lot of the same things. And yet you have these two um, single people who are, who are talking about these things. And Paul will, will often talk about, you know, how good it is to be single and, and what a gift it is um, for some people. It is, it, it is so hard for me. It, 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 it honestly is just, it's really, it, it's hard for me to wrap. And I get, you know, Jesus is God. So it's like, okay, yeah, Jesus is God. So that's how he has the answers. And that's how he's, he's so smart. But it's so hard to wrap my mind around the idea that somebody who was never married, that somebody who's never done this, he's the author of it, can, can understand it so well. Um, and the fact that Jesus never has this dynamic, he never, you know, leaves his family to join together with an, a sing, another singular person, but yet has this reverence for it. Um, I, there's just this big part of me that like, I, I know because he created it, that he understands it, but it's just, it, it's just a hard dynamic. It's a very, it, it's not the same thing at all. Don't hear me wrong. I trust Jesus and his teachings on this, um, to the nth degree. I, I totally trust him, but there is this sense in me. Of Jesus dealt, Jesus dealt with all temptation, and and fr- relationships and friendships can be just as I believe relationships, um, our relationships, especially in the church, can be just as important as as marriage relationships. They they have as much dignity and can have as much weight and bearing um, on a on a on a human life. Um, so he does. It's not like he's never had a human relationship or never had a um, never invested and never given into another human relationship. But it's almost like when you see a even I feel ang- I feel anxious talking about marriage, and I feel anxious talking about. Hey, I gave this marriage advice once because I've only been married for five, six. Wait a second, five, five and a half years, um, and it's kind of cringy when you hear young people talking about marriage because it's like I'm not even thirty yet, and so like I would never, I would never give Jason marriage advice or uh, the general audience most unless I was very, very sure on something. I would never be like, hey, here's some good marriage advice. And you see it a lot of times, like you have those Christian influencer couples used to be on Instagram, now it's on TikTok, um, where they've been married for three months and they write a book on marriage, and you know, um, there it's not the same thing at all. But there is this sense of as how does Jesus know this so well? Um, how, how can he embody this grace and this truth so, so well? Um, and maybe the perplexion is how am I not more angry? How am I not more like, well, you haven't been through it, Jesus. So who are you to tell me? Who are you to like, my perplexion maybe is, is why do I not feel more strongly that way? (laughs) And that, that might seem kind of, um, and frantic is the right word. It might seem a little odd, but it is this, um, like, you would never, you would never, maybe, maybe you have, but you would never have like a marriage conference and the main speaker, you know, or the main, the main two speakers or two keynote speakers be, um, never been married in their entire life. It would be kind of a funny, silly thing. And so I've, that's a, that's a long rambling thing, but it, there's just a lot of weirdness for me, um, in, in how I take this teaching, if that makes sense. Yeah. I, I appreciate you saying it because I think there are a lot of people, it, it is in, that that have would have that question you know if you were raised if if a person was raised and they're like we question nothing you know then it would feel like oh goodness how can you question this but then we can go to the other side of the pendulum it's like everything is subject to my judgment as a human you know what i mean and so you have those always two extremes at play sometimes within the same person sometimes at the same time um where you have these vacillating you know what what what's interesting to me is that that phrase, Jesus was tempted in every way, but yeah, you were like, Jesus was never a father, and Jesus was never a husband, and Jesus never ran a company, and Jesus never, you know, these kind of dynamics. And it does make me wonder, is this indicative? I, I think it's enough to say, like you already said, you know, well, Jesus was connected to God. He clearly, he says specifically, I don't say anything on my own. Everything I say is from God. And even though he had emptied himself of all himself, you know, it says in Philippians 2, um, he still, I mean, he sets up, that's the basic, at least my understanding of it. He emptied himself of his own deity. And then uh, he was confident, he was trusting in, in the spirit to provide everything he needed as he spoke. So as he's speaking this or anything else, you know, cause like if he's, how many, how much farming did Jesus do? How much fishing did Jesus do? You know, but he spoke, he spoke accurately enough within that time period that he didn't have anybody say, that's not how that works, you know, kind of thing. So my assumption is the spirit guided. So that's kind of number one. Number two, though, is I wonder if it's a devil's tactic 
to make things seem so different as his function of that helps us be isolated. And we can do this even more. So, so yeah, you could say, well, Jason, yeah, you're married, but you, you weren't raised in a family like this. You have nothing to tell me. And, and you weren't born in this generation. You were born in that generation. And I think we do this all the time, that we refuse wisdom because we, we perceive that my situation is so unique that no one can tell me anything. You know what I mean? And, it, and I'm thinking, who would that be advantage of? Well, that's the devil. You know what I mean? The, the devil loves to, to create division. And it's not even a correction of what you're saying. It's an expansion on my own thinking of thinking, because I've thought this, and I've said this before. I'm like, why didn't we get a single book of the Bible called How to Parent? <laughs> you know what I mean? Or How to Be a Good Spouse or a Good Sibling. or You know what I mean? I would just feel like there were, there were times I'm reading the Bible, and I'm like, man, these verses are good. You know what I mean? They're good. It'd be much more helpful on how do you set up a good retirement plan, or you know when your parents are dying, how do you handle this? You know, and all we're given is honor your father and mother, and and then a general application of love. And so this is really a new thinking for me. But have I created all these differentials and situations? And God is like, you did that, like humans did that, and the devil loves that division. That oh, you wouldn't understand because of this, this, and this. You know what I mean? Whereas real love would cut through that. For example. We have we since I don't know I feel like in the in the in the last twenty years that that there has been a real strong push on don't say the wrong thing to people in grief because it was always they're in a better place da 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 you know kind of thing I agree with that but my submission is it's not about learning the right words it's because the people weren't loving in the first place I tell you they're in a better place usually because I don't want to take the time to think about it I don't want to be uncomfortable and I just think that that's one of those dynamics that we judge. Because this era or this group of people handled it poorly, then there must be no good way to handle it. You just have to follow these strict guidelines. And I think love would fulfill those strict guidelines. You know, and in this case, I think it's a similar dynamic of, of this idea of Jesus was tempted in every way because though we have segmented it, well, you, this, you have to experience this to experience that. But he had experienced the universal nature of it, and we could too mm. if we didn't separate it so linearly and so... Um, I don't know. There's a better word that rigidly. Man, that's really good. And I'm, I'm going to cut off, cut myself off here. We'll be over here in just a moment. But I love. I talked so much about the genius that that the nuance that Jesus gives here to truth and to um, and to love and to grace. And for you know, lack of a better term, we're not giving the devil his due. And that he's it's a lot more clever for him to manipulate into these really distinct manipulate into these distinctions um that are a lot harder to um a lot harder to to bring out into the light if i tell you hey it's really great for your marriage to you go to the strip club like that, that that's really easy or it's really great for your marriage um to never do the dishes or to put you know to always do what you want to do like it's really easy to be like that's dumb advice but if i can then separate it off and be like well you don't understand the temptations that we have nowadays you don't understand how I grow. like that is a much more subtle and and i don't mean this in a good way but it's a much more genius lie it's a much easier way um to get us to um diverge from the path that god has for us and so I think where I'm ending up in this in this conversation is that Jesus' teaching on marriage is so much more genius and so much more nuanced um, and brilliant uh, and so multifaceted. And I, I, when in my own marriage, I need to be giving the devil his due, and that he's probably much more interested in separating myself off from my wife, from my friends, from from all these other people, because then if I'm separated off into that, then then there's a lot <laughs> it's a lot harder for me to understand and hear the goodness and the right rightness and in, in all these different areas um and so i'm gonna cut myself off right there because we could keep going i'm sure forever um though after the music is played uh, i'm gonna ask jason a question and we'll go back and forth so if you want to listen to that stay till after the music if not it's okay and we'll only cry a little bit grace peace and love
So Jason, how, how do you see, I was, this is the question. How do you see, um, your specific history with divorce affecting your marriage right now in a minute and yeah. a minute and a half? Yeah. So, and, and I, I do want to say I, I could give you a minute and a half and much more on divorce, premarital sex, uh, friendships I've maintained. It, there's a lot of stuff that has affected my ability to move into the power of marriage in, in trying to, to really focus in on divorce. There is that part that the, the way that God has built marriage from a child's perspective is this is your safe place. And when that is fractured, um, it, it does produce that what we, everything that, that you fear has already happened to you in one way or another. And so it does come up. I, I think there is that part to say, you know, it, it produces that possibility. That fear is there more, more innately. Now, if I perceived my parents had fantastic lives now and were just like the best, I, I might even say, well, say to myself, well, you know, it, I don't have to stay in this marriage. You know what I mean? So, and my, I don't, my parents don't have miserable lives or anything, but I mean, I, I think they would say, man, that was a rough, rough road, you know? So that actually speaks to it and I value it. Like, I, I've heard people say in their second marriage, they're like, oh, I've learned a lot that I don't want to produce uh, or you know, reproduce in the second marriage. And I'm not suggesting I have that same knowledge, but I do know when you watch a marriage crumble, you do learn, I know it doesn't work. <laughs> so I would say in that, in that way, there's, there's some benefit, if you will, in that regard. What about you? Yeah, that's really good. So for me, um, I, I think for me, it, it's produced in a lot of ways um, – a a it's almost produced in me like a bulletproof vest in terms of marriage so my wife had a has very stable parents love each other they'll talk about never getting in a fight you know for 30 years or however long they've been married she just said 40 50 years just to see if they're paying attention and be like you're saying i'm 70 years older um they, they don't talk like that but a very 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 healthy marriage um very happy very loving and my parents were loving and 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 good to us um but they they had a very great relationship with each other and they're still together and my parents didn't and aren't still together and so for hannah like for me i saw all that my parents went through and all the bullets they took before you know the anvil finally broke the camel's back and for me i'm like there, there's a sense for me that when something comes against our marriage, whether it be for myself, from Hannah, or from the outside world, I'm like, man, like I've seen, like it takes a lot bigger, it takes a lot bigger bullet to take down, to take this thing down. It takes a lot more. Where for Hannah, you know, who didn't, and I'm sure her parents' marriage went through those things and, and had those bullets absorbed, but because they, you know, it didn't, it didn't affect, you know, the family life um, directly, she didn't get to experience those things. So for me, it's a weird thing because like ultimately my parents' marriage ended in divorce, but because I saw how many things it took to lead up to that, there's almost this like, uh, for me, and it can be kind of frustrating. And sometimes I think I could lean into it in a negative sort of way. There's almost this sense of like, man, um, not like, well, man, I'm doing great in comparison, but man, um, we, we've, we're, we've been building this strong foundation and the, it, it's going to take a lot bigger. I'm going to keep using different projectile um, projectile <laughs> ammo. It's going to take, take a massive, much bigger cannonball to leave a sizable dent that we can't repair. Because I saw a lot of dents happen and it took a lot of accumulation. Now, that's not the case for everybody. But, but for me, um, that's something that I've – and there's a thousand different ways, uh, subtle, that I, can, that I can recognize and that I can't recognize that it's affecting me. But that's one really tangible way. Uh, that I that that that's kind of come into my marriage um, is just this like I a, a bulletproof vest where man I felt that shot I feel it it doesn't it's gonna leave a bruise but man I, I feel like the vital organs are protected and I feel like we're gonna survive and so um, you know I I really appreciate we we really appreciate you listening and if anybody has continued on to this point uh, and is interested in our stories that's just really honoring and we're really thankful that that's the case. Grace, peace, and love again. Grace, peace, and love too. Um, really grace, peace, and love for you if you've listened all this way.